Hello and welcome to the podcast for the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and all this month we're talking about international research collaboration post-Brexit within the UK. Uh, to discuss that with me this week are Michael Hill-King, Collaboration Director, and Philip Candice, Director of Public Policy from Huawei. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Well, thank you, Gavin, for inviting us here on this sunny February afternoon. And uh, it's great to be here and having a conversation about uh, how the UK is going to go forward and some of the how it looks from being here inside Huawei. Maybe we can start just to understand a little bit what the key issues for companies like Huawei are uh, as the UK starts to make decisions on its international research strategy post-Brexit. People, people and people. Okay, easy enough. It's easy enough, absolutely. So three points around people. Huawei employs great people with advanced skill sets from all around the world. The UK workforce is diverse and we want to keep our European national employees and continue to attract the talent. The second point on people is that the UK is an exporter to Huawei. There are many great technology firms in the UK who can, with the right administrative arrangements, continue to export from the UK, whether that be physical products or technology licenses. And the third point on people is that Huawei collaborates with many world-class universities that are anchored in the UK. According to HISA statistics, more than one in five of staff in UK university engineering and technology departments are from the EU. And the figure is even higher in science subjects. We don't want to lose almost a quarter of our research base. Philip? And I, I suppose, you know, looking more broadly, it's probably useful to reflect on just how technology has you know, revolutionised our world and our, our daily lives over recent years. You know, faster broadband connections and smart devices have transformed the way we communicate, purchase services and consume entertainment. You know, and now the language of technology forms part of our everyday lives as we reference, you know, things like artificial intelligence, cloud computing, the Internet of Things and of course 5G. And these new technologies are going to bring huge challenges and benefits to, to the world in education, healthcare, environmental, sustainability and many more fields. And for us at Huawei, you know, these are no longer just sort of concepts, they are a reality. But what will make these new services possible is really super fast connectivity. And connectivity is at the heart of our contribution at Huawei. Okay. Let's ex- explore some of the uh, some of those things. Clearly, one of the decisions that the UK is going to have to make is how it may or may not participate in EU uh, research programs going forward. Given it won't have an automatic participation as it's no longer in the EU, what's been the importance in the past to Huawei of participating in these kind of research programs? So there's two parts to my answer here, Kevin. One part is in terms of our own participation in EU programs. And that has been from many different countries in Europe, not just from our UK base. And our participation has been an important part of our own research programs. Mm -hmm. But it's also worth mentioning that EU research programs have funded a significant amount of research in UK universities over the past years. And these are the universities that we collaborate with. It's our partners. And according to Universities UK, this represents more than 15% of overall research funding in the UK universities in the UK. So EU programmes aren't just about money, mm. they're mainly about collaboration. And that's scientific and social collaboration. And that wouldn't happen with unilateral or even bilateral research agreements. 
and many of the researchers who have been engaged in European programs are, as a consequence, um, more rounded in their research outlook. They have an international mindset and they also have a greater propensity to work with companies like Huawei. So we like to have EU programs accessible from the UK by our partners as well as participate in them directly from ourselves. Okay, so I expect I know the answer to this question. Should the UK therefore seek to participate as an associate member in the forthcoming Horizon Europe programme? Absolutely yes. And we've been heartened by the recent comments by Chris Skidmore, the Universities and Science Minister, who said his top priority is to ensure that the UK retains access to Horizon Europe. And it's important to remember that we're still physically very close to Europe. Horizon Europe is more than collaborative research. It also includes the European Research Council, in which the UK has been an historically strong participant, the Marie Slodowska Curry Fellowships, the European Institutes and the Joint Research Centres. It's important to be clear about what's included in association and we want it to the fullest extent. Okay, a very clear statement and again I'm not at all surprised. Obviously Brexit inevitably means there's going to be some changes to all of this um, and there's an opportunity to develop an international research collaboration, not just with the EU, but globally. Uh, and of course, Huawei is a global company with uh, headquarters outside of the EU. What do you think the key elements of, a, of an international uh, vision for the UK should be? This is a time of opportunity for the UK. It's a chance to once again become pioneers. Let's remind ourselves that 20% of UK R&D investment is from overseas. The equivalent figure from less internationalised countries, such as the USA and Germany, is 4%. And this is a reassurance that we can achieve inward investment, but it's also a threat because we don't have control mm. over that investment. Britain needs to make more friends around the world post-Brexit. Some European friends may become less friendly, so the UK should seek to strengthen all its friendships. This is also Huawei's opportunity. Well let me follow up a little bit on that because you you talked about st strengthening friendships. What does that mean? What kind of things would we do to strengthen relationships and friendships with other countries? Well I think first and foremost it's about welcoming people to places and part of the answer is having structural attractions for companies and part of the answer is converting that to stickiness and another part of the answer is really communicating the message effectively to the industries and countries that we want to attract. You know, and the answers, it's also bigger than just research collaboration. You know, it can involve research centres and manufacturing centres too. But we at Huawei want to attract investment that will uh, create jobs, but also retain them in the UK when, you know, maybe harder economic times might come down the track. You know, and we also need to develop our own industries that will be part of uh, a wider international trading ecosystem. Okay. Now, right at the beginning, you said your priorities were people, people and people. What do we need to do in the UK to make sure that we can attract the best talent to come and work here? That's a really important question, Gavin, and one that's been fixed in my mind for several years now. I wish I had all the answers. <laughs> so here's, here's just um, an offering of some, some suggestions that okay. hopefully others can build upon. Attracting talent to come and work in the UK is a mixture of visa rules, salaries and the experience of living here. But that's not enough. Experienced workers care about provision for their families. Can a family member get a job? 
a visa, schooling, healthcare, etc. We need to consider the whole big picture. But let's not forget about homegrown talent as part of the mix. We want to develop our own talent and that starts with social attitudes and then with the education provision. Some aspects of postgraduate education can be characterised as an export industry. We need to do more to include our homegrown students to increase both the capability of our brilliant young minds and take actions that lead to the creation of roles that can absorb those brilliant young minds to create value for our society. Of course, some of our own will go and travel the world in their careers before returning to bring their experiences to bear. That's good and should be welcomed. So you talked a little bit about actions. What are the kind of actions that we could take in this area? So we, meaning UK government, I think in this context, is part of the picture. And the actions the UK government can take is to be clear about what the visa rules are for highly skilled, well-educated people either coming to the UK to um, continue their education or coming here to work and actually contribute to UK economy and productivity. They should also be clear about um, how the families of those people can come with them and for how long they are welcome here and the arrangements around there. The other thing they can do is communicate this message effectively to employers in this country. Because every employer in this country who wants to attract um, some talent from outside the country needs to understand the rules. If they don't understand the rules, they're in danger of misstepping. If they do understand the rules, they're more able to communicate effectively when they are advertising their post and um, promoting opportunities for people to come. Okay. Um, obviously, Huawei is a global company. Do you have experience from other countries that seem to have developed a visa regime which does these kind of things that the UK can kind of learn from? That's a really good question, Gavin, and I'm sure the answer is yes, but I don't have exposure <laughs> um, to those environments to know where the best place is to refer to. Uh, I'm sure the Home Office is exploring all of those different uh, uh, countries and seeing, seeing what might be possible. I hope you're right. Obviously, we talked about different countries. Different countries do have different approaches to international research collaboration from on the one hand focusing on the most excellent research to on the other hand focusing on the most strategically important and I realise they're not always mutually exclusive but they're not always exactly the same. Do we have the flexibility and the agility in the UK to grab the opportunities offered by both of those and if we don't what should we do? Well this is another difficult question. Oh, I don't um, make it easy. I don't make it no. easy. And the international comparisons are something where I'm probably not best placed okay. to, uh, to refer. But let me, let me make a couple of points that are in the international comparison space. Sure. Say, according to the QS World University Rankings, the UK accounts for 80% of the top 10 universities in Europe. We're doing something right. Okay. And not to um, take from that, but to add to it, provide an industrially relevant 21st century powerhouse for strategically important research and development and innovation can be put into the mix by investing in education and, I think importantly, not being afraid to back our own ideas. So not being afraid to back our own ideas suggests picking winners and government investment in certain technologies perhaps through Innovate UK or perhaps through some of these other structures. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. That is the kind of thing we're talking about, but doesn't need to be 
exclusively what we're talking about. No. And I think picking winners is, is a phrase which has been abused and misused oh, um, <laughs> many times um, in, in the past. And I prefer to say not so much picking winners because that seems to identify the individual company okay. or the individual talent. But perhaps to say these are the areas of technology, these are the areas of the economy where the UK is strong or has the potential to develop strengths. So if we're picking winners, we're picking winners at an industry level, at a cluster level, not an individual um, company or individual person level. And I think that's important because then we can encourage an ecosystem and be sure we are going to have individual winners within those ecosystems that we, we foster. So let me put you on the spot. What technologies would uh, fall into this category of ones that the UK is strong at that uh, we should be trying to foster? Now, of course, I'll give you a biased view based on what, what I see Please in the do. UK. And Please I'm going do. to list four things that I think we are actually quite good at here. Okay. And we should be proud of and we should be shouting about. Um, the first of these is, um, since we're in London at the moment, is fintech. Okay. Um, the UK has leading fintech um, companies and a, a vibrant ecosystem. The UK has, as I mentioned earlier, one of the best university systems in the world. We also have, as many people know, some of the best artificial intelligence and machine learning and data science companies, technologies, organisations and minds mm -hmm. on earth. And to add something at a more material level, I think I'd suggest mentioning the um, compound semiconductor hub, yep. which is growing up in the greater Cardiff area. So there's four things where we are absolutely world-class. If we're not world-class, we're world-leading. Okay. So what actions would you as Huawei like to see the government take this year uh, to put us in the best possible position to collaborate with other countries going forward? Well, I suppose in a, in a nutshell, I'd say, number one, remove barriers. Number two, make people feel welcome. Communicate our national strengths effectively. And... And I suppose in so doing, stay, stay humble. Um, we're one, one amongst many countries vying for investment and talent. And, you know, we have a great story to sell. And, and we really have great opportunities going forwards through 2020 and beyond. OK. Um, the first thing you said was remove barriers. Just pick that out a little bit for me. Are we talking about barriers for people to come here? Are we talking about barriers for investment to come here or barriers for collaboration? What, what kind of barriers can we remove? I think there's, there's certainly a lot of concern about, you know, visa status um, and the situation post-Brexit. So I think that there needs to be a fair amount of clarification about, about you know, how easy it is going to be going forwards. You know, if, if a business like ours is, is going to uh, seek to attract talent, not just from mainland Europe, but from from, from rest of world. And, and it's important that, you know, there isn't unnecessary regulation that might impede those, those sort of talent or acquisition sort of uh, decisions that, but also, you know, uh, important to make sure there's no sort of unnecessary red tape when it comes to allowing companies to, to invest in new projects uh, mm. internationally. Mm. Okay, let's see what the government does. But now's the chance to be positive and look into a crystal ball and let's assume that uh, things go well. If we get this right, where could we be in five years' time? 
I think five years is a very short time period. Okay. Where could we be in ten years' time? <laughs> in, in, in five years, if I can ask the, answer the original sure. question, in five years' time, I'd hope we can be on a pathway towards building a strong post-Brexit Britain. And in ten years, to answer your question there, Gavin, I want to see the UK as the fit man of Europe. Wonderful. Michael Phillip, thank you very much. You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find us on soundcloud.com, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you found this podcast. Or you can check out further details about the Foundation at www.foundation.org.uk.